Welcome to Life of the School, episode 84. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life at the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This episode, I sit down with Kim Popham. Kim is a science teacher at Belgrade High School in Belgrade, Montana, where she teaches AP Biology, Biology 1, and Forensic Science. Kim was recognized as the Outstanding Biology Teacher for the state of Montana in 2015. In 2015, 2017, and 2019, she was also a finalist for the President Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching. Kim has served as a board member for the Montana Science Teachers Association and works with the Murdoch Trust as an instructional coach for their Partners in Science grant. Kim earned a BA in Biology and Environmental Science from the University of Montana in 1995 and completed a Master's of Science in Science Education in 2004. You can follow Kim on Twitter at K-pop bio nerd uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Yeah, before we started recording, we were we were going down my my strange Montana roots and and people <laughs> like Walt uh, Wolbach, who I just always have called Walt because he, there's like the one and only Walt from Montana. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is you know a strange connection to have, but I, I worked with him on an online community uh, about ten years ago or so, and and um and I was saying the last time I saw him, I, I was in a restaurant in San Francisco at NSTA, uh, back when San Fr- NSTA was in San Francisco last time. So Yeah, he's a and great guy and we're lucky to have him here. Yeah. And you, you, I was like, I probably a strange name to drop in there. And we have, uh, <laughs> several other common friends, uh, from, from Montana <laughs> that I, that I know. So yeah. Montana is um, a big state, but it's also a small state. So it's like, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. As opposed to Massachusetts, which is a small state, but is like a giant state. Right. <laughs> we probably we probably have substantially more school districts than Montana. Yes, yes you do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and this is like one of my more funny recordings. Uh, I, and I don't know, I don't know how fast you knew who I was at the table when we sat down together at NABT. I, I actually but like, did not know. <laughs> okay. So like I pulled the I hadn't I hadn't looked at the table I had sat down because we, we were sitting in um in a talk by Paul Strode which I, I hope we'll talk about a little bit more later uh, yeah. but I I sat down I was talking to Paul and I was like totally distracted by Paul and one of his former practicum teachers Katie um, who I'd, I'd met the day before or earlier and, and we had chatted and so I slide the attendance sheet over for my table to go sign my name and your name was written right above it yeah. and I was like. Kim, I've been, I think I've been harassing Kim online a few weeks ago. It was been avoiding me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it was funny. It was a great workshop. So I was glad that we were able to chat and, uh, and yeah. talk. So um, this is a great post, uh, post NABT talk to, to get together. So right. uh, as we, as we, we will, this will come out right after Thanksgiving, but we're recording it right before Thanksgiving. So uh, good, busy time of the year. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm so busy right now. <laughs> Yeah. And you're probably doing the same thing I've been doing, which is like, all right, how many weeks till the winter break? Uh, How much stuff can I get in? And where's, where all the exams fit in? And uh, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm only on unit two for AP bio. What am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I, I had more conversations in like the last three days of school, like logistically calendaring, figuring out where things would be due and how much time people would need to grade things before end of quarter. And I'm like, we're like, 
couple weeks into our second quarter and we're already worried about uh, the winter timeline because it gets so disrupted by these breaks. And I feel like second quarter is so broken up by breaks that Mm. it's a nightmare for me as a teacher, I think, but I'm not the only one. (laughs) Yeah, I find, well, I mean, as an AP teacher, quarter four is like, just like, you know, you have a couple weeks and then you hit the AP for me, um, especially us because we get out late. Uh, But for, for me, I find, yeah, the winter both quarter two and quarter three between the various breaks we have and the snow days and the unscheduled stuff that comes up. Like you have an initial plan and then you have what you get done and you just kind of do your best with it. So I've been teaching in Montana for 24 years and have only had two snow days in my 24 (laughs) 24 year career. And so I look at you guys back East and some friends of mine that I work with in um, Vancouver, Washington, who, lose so many days to snow days. And I'm like, Oh, how do you do it? Especially for AP because they don't care. <laughs> just, the AP exam is. <laughs> yeah. So I play catch up all the time. Yeah. I think it's a, an inherent part of, um, one of those things that you just sort of account for. And I think it, it's part of your mentality, um, about how you plan out your curriculum that you just know that it's going to be a thing that's going to happen. And I, I remember distinctly last year, um, you know, Valerie May who teaches down in Connecticut, uh, people were like all panicked online and she's like, I haven't gotten to this this year. We're going to do this on this Friday before the AP. Like yeah. it, it is what it is. The kids, the kids are mostly ready. I'm just going to give them a little taste of this right before we walk in the AP test. And you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what it is, and the the reality is, and, and you know this as well as I, that the right. content is, is just not as important as those skills. Right. Um, and so, if they have enough of content pieces that come in, and obviously it varies. If you're teaching a first year AP Bio course, that's very different um, because yeah. you're a little more worried about the content. But overall, like their ability to read a graph and to interpret an experiment is probably more important than making sure that you, you know, have hit every single one of those content standards. No, I agree. And I feel like I've changed how I teach bio one because I know when they get to AP bio and I think they need to know that even if they don't take AP biology, but I think that I've changed the way I teach regular bio for that reason. So that when they get to AP bio, they can hit the ground running and have a pretty good idea of how to read those graphs and interpret data and analyze data. And um, So it's been helpful for me to teach both levels. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. That's, I'm, in, I'm in the same boat and I, I was, our curriculum looks radically different now for our first year bio than it, than it did before, really before the last couple of revisions of the AP and that yeah. those revisions in the AP have really informed decisions I've made on the other level. So, all right. Well, we, as I got on and then they like, we went right into random conversation. I have <laughs> convinced that even though we've only had a couple of conversations in our lives that we could just like riff like jazz on teaching, but I'm going to try to get us into our structured questions. And, yeah, and, and so we're, <laughs> no, no, it, it's great. I think it's really funny. Uh, you know, there's a handful of people that this has happened with. And so I always love it. And, you know, we're teachers and we can talk. So uh, yes. <laughs> I was, I always tell the story about like uh, both Paul Strode and Lee Ferguson. Cause that was both really early when I was doing this. Like I had been yeah. maybe like a dozen or so episodes in when I got to both of those guys and I got them on. And then like, I looked down and I'm like 80 minutes into a recording and I'm like 80 minutes. And at that time I'd only done a handful of recordings and I hadn't done it. And I, I had never met either of them before. Like yeah. I literally had 
just set it up by email and we had never talked before. And now I consider them two of my, my dear friends, yeah. but like we just hit the ground running. And the next thing I know, like we're, <laughs> we're almost an hour and a half into it and I haven't gotten to like, like wrapping up the questions and stuff like that. And right. I was like, all right, let's get into that first question. I'd like to start everybody with this, which is okay. like, how did you become a science teacher? What, what led you into the classroom? Um, <laughs> it's funny you say that. And I share this with my students too, um, especially my seniors. I, um, graduated from high school, went to the university of Montana because it was close and it was something I could afford. And I wanted to be a psychologist and I started taking psychology classes and I was bored to tears. <laughs> so I changed my major and I'd taken an athletic training class when I was in high school. So I was like, oh, I could do that. I liked that stuff. But then, so I changed my major again and I started down that path and started looking at job opportunities. And I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to get a job in this field if I'm not, you know, careful. And so I changed to physical therapy, another major change. And so um, I did all of my coursework. I did all of my um, volunteer hours observing and that kind of thing and had great recommendations. And it came time to apply for the program. And my advisor said, um, you're, you're not going to ever get into this program if you don't quit your job. And I said, mm -hmm. I, I I can't afford to, I have to pay for school. And I, so I can't afford to quit my job. And he said, well, you're never going to get in then. And I was like, that's not fair, but he was right. I didn't get in. And so then I was like, what am I going to do with all of these classes I've taken? And, and I need to graduate. I need to, you know, get, I love school, but I have to stop <laughs> bleeding money. And so, um, I went to a different advisor and he said, you know, you're pretty close to a biology degree. Why don't you get a biology degree? And I said, well, that's all well and good, but what am I going to do with it? And he said, well, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, no, and not just no, but hell no. <laughs> and um, my husband was, uh, his dad was a principal and his mom, his stepmom was also a teacher. And so I went home that night. We went over to visit them and I started talking to him about it. And he goes, well, why don't you want to do this, Kim? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, well, did you like school? And I said, I loved school. And he goes, well, why wouldn't you want to teach? And I said, I don't know. And it kind of started me thinking about it. And I had an amazing, amazing earth science and chemistry teacher when I was in high school. And um, I thought, you know, he really inspired me to go into the scientists. So maybe I could be a teacher. And so I went back and I met with my advisor again and I said, well, I guess I'll give this a try. <laughs> he goes, oh great, well, and while you're at it, I think you should add this environmental science degree because then you'll make yourself more marketable in Montana. So Montana, as you know, is a very rural state. We have all these schools that if you only have a biology degree, you're most likely not going to get a job. And so, yeah. You know, I, I ended up adding that environmental science um, degree. And thank goodness, because my first job, um, I taught earth science and biology. So I needed that environmental science degree for earth sciences, which was good. And I ended up actually getting my first job at the school I graduated from. So that teacher who I had thought about, like, this is this amazing teacher who inspired me to go into the sciences. He then became my department head when I first started teaching. 
So, um, and I had babysat his girls all through high school. So <laughs> it was kind of, uh, it came full circle for me. Um, and I haven't looked back since. So. Wow. So I, I, it's interesting that like you just never envisioned like possibly teaching and your initial re- reaction was like, no, 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 no. I, I'm curious, like, what did you think like a teacher, how different was it that you thought of being a teacher or what it was like to be a teacher? Or is it like literally you just never envisioned that? Like it was just a not in your plans going forward to be a teacher. Which was it? Was it that you had a, a bad thought about it or that you just never considered it? I don't think I ever considered it. I, I had, like I said, I had an amazing high school experience. I had great mm-hmm. teachers who, you know, I knew I could count on them and I could go to them for help whenever I needed to. And, and, um, great administrators. In fact, I'm still friends with, um, my vice principal who was my vice principal when I was in school. And then again, the vice principal, when I started teaching. So, I just, I, I, I guess I just never really considered it. And it's funny because a few years ago, my mom brought up, well, don't you remember when you were little, you'd go in your room and my grandfather had made this easel for us. It was a big stand up <laughs> easel. And she goes, you used to put your stuffed animals in rows and teach to them. And I was like, I did not. And she goes, oh yes, you did. <laughs> and I thought, I don't remember that, but mom does. So I guess I did. But um, yeah, it was just something I never considered, which was funny because, like I said, my husband's dad was a principal at an elementary school. His stepmom was a teacher and I had this great experience. So why didn't I? I don't know. But Hmm. yeah, it was just one of those things that I never had considered. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because there's a lot there's a lot that goes in there. And um, I I think back to like my teachers and the various teachers I had in my building. And I, I feel very similar. Like um, the irony being that like the teachers I was all close to are not necessarily were the science teachers. Like yeah. I didn't have that, that like science teacher who totally turned me on to science yeah. um, in school. Like I got really turned on to science when I was in college. Uh, oh. I was always curious about it, but <laughs> I like really fell in love with it when I was, I really fell in love with science, doing science when I got to actually do science on the college level. But the, the model of sort of like a good professional teacher and what that looked like and, and how those teachers cared about the kids and how they built community and built structure. Like I had that modeled in spades in my school. Like it was like all over my, my educational background. Um, so that was a very easy thing to envision myself when I made that shift over and saying, oh yeah, let's try teaching. <laughs> yeah. And so. you know, it's funny you say you never did science and I don't think I ever did science even as an undergrad. It was very mm-hmm. much like, here's this concept and you know, learn it, teach it. And you stand, it's like the stand and deliver type of mm-hmm. education. And, and when I first started teaching, that's what kind of teacher I was. And then when I moved to Belgrade, I applied for a partners in science grant through the Murdoch trust and I got that grant. And so I did <clears throat> actually, before that I worked for a group of scientists who I'd met when I was doing my master's, it's called the mm-hmm. thermal biology Institute. And after I graduated with my master's, um, a, one of the people that I'd met through that program or through that class, I saw her in the, in the post office and she said, Hey, do you know any teachers that need a summer job? And I had just moved over here and was kind of starting over. And I said, I do. And she goes, would you want to work with me? Um, and these scientists 
who do research in Yellowstone. I was like, yeah, sign me up. And so that's where I really got my first exposure to doing science. Like I'd been through, you know, five years, almost six years, I hate to say of undergrad and then two years of a, of a graduate program and never felt like it really did science until I started working for those guys. And my job was to write curriculum to integrate their um, research into the middle school classroom, which if you can get middle school kids to understand thermal biology, <laughs> it's yeah. good. But it was a stretch for me, both professionally and, and uh, mentally, to be teaching middle school and <laughs> to be trying to integrate this science into the classroom, but it really, really turned me on to doing science. And then I applied for that. My funding ran out with them. And so then I applied for that Murdoch Trust grant. And um, so I got to do um, two years funded by them. And then I did two more years of research in a proteomics lab at Montana State. And that's really what it, it changed. It changed my life in the classroom. Like I I was like, oh, this is this is what it's all about. This is how you do this. And this is why we do these things that we're supposed to be doing. So it really um, changed how I teach. And I haven't looked back since then. So <laughs> it's it like I said, I, it took me a while to get to the doing science part. But now um, I, I feel pretty passionate about that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I, I, there's so much to unpack in that that vision of how, and I feel similarly in terms of my education to become a science teacher. Um, but I went and did my undergraduate degree in biology. And then I, I worked in a lab um, as part of that. Like I did an independent study and I, um, I got like a small little uh, stipend that paid me a couple hundred dollars a semester uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to work in there. And um, I actually had gone to one professor and I asked him um, if he had anything in the, you know, in his lab that I could do. And I actually did this as I was going into my senior year. And he was like, eh, you know, I really prefer to have people for two years because for him, he feels like he takes a year to train you in lab. Yeah. Uh, and then, then get you in there. But then like, I, I think back to this conversation still, like this is a professor who I knew and I liked, but I had him in a genetics class, which I swear there must've been 250 people in this genetics class. And he said to me, <laughs> he said to me, well, you are interested in education, right? So I have an idea for you. And like, I'm thinking back to them. It's like, how the heck did Ed Klukowski know that I was interested in education? Like, uh, how did he know out of all of those people that that was a thing for me and that he had that connected and that was sort of it? And like, I don't know that I knew I wanted to necessarily 100% do education. I had been dabbling in it. You know, I had been, you know, being a TA here and there and stuff like that. Um, so <laughs> apparently that was an identity I projected out. But as we were walking to the greenhouse, because he was thinking of an idea that he thought was related to his lab, because uh, he was a plant geneticist, he stopped uh -huh. me in the hallway and he turned and walked into a lab that I didn't even know existed there. Um, it was this little like kind of corner lab near the greenhouse. And then he walked in and talked to the, the guy in there and then came back out and got me, came in, introduced me to uh, Bernie Rubenstein, who ended up was the PI of that lab. And then Ed walked away and <laughs> he introduced me to this guy. And then I worked in that guy's lab for all my senior year of, high, of college and then when I worked on my master's. But it was in that room working for Bernie that I learned what science was, like how to ask a question, um, you know, collect some data, look at that data, and then kind of go, huh, how does this fit into the model of what we were thinking about doing? 
And what are the right. nat- what are the natural like? Okay, so we have these data points. Where are the holes in our data points? Like, mm-hmm. what, what, uh, like, well, what would we need to do? Well, we we need to collect you know um, daylilies at three o'clock in the morning because we've got this hole because nobody wants to come in at three o'clock in the morning to collect yeah. the daylilies. So why don't we have the undergrad wake up in the middle of the night and come in from their dorm and you know flash freeze some daylilies so that we can get fill in that data point from between midnight when the last grad student leaves and 6 a.m when the, the professors come in uh, yeah. we need somebody to get those data points and we'll do it like you know at the 3 a.m data points before and you know before and after the flowering and you know maybe going back a couple of days and and do that stuff but it was that work of being in a lab with people who do yeah. science like you were saying yeah. that really turns you into a scientist like you're like oh right. these are the practices um yeah. so like yeah. you you now have brought this up so you like i was going to talk about this idea that you going outside and collecting data for water quality at oh, the end yeah. of last year but is, is that kind of the idea that like is that why you're take want to get your kids out into the field is to to start yeah. like doing science like that yeah and i it it happened the idea came to me last year i was at a conference for the murdoch trust so um i work with teachers all over the state in that capacity and i try and can recruit them to apply for the grant and Mm -hmm. then in the summertime they're in the university labs and i go visit them in the labs and then we bring them all together at a conference in vancouver washington which is where the trust is located And so I have two teachers who um, I'm working with in Livingston, Montana, which is 20 miles to the east of us. Mm -hmm. And they live on the other side of what we call Bozeman Pass. And um, I said, you know, you guys, we're so close to each other and we should be doing something and collaborating and having our kids like doing some science together. And we need to then have them present their data because that's really what science is all about. That's what you guys are doing with your research that you're doing. You're doing this research. You're presenting your data at this national conference. So why aren't we having our kids do that? And we're so close to each other, which in Montana is unusual. (laughs) And I said, well, and I really, I feel like my kids are not collecting any real data and analyzing that data. Like I'm using data sets from here, there and everywhere and having them analyze that. But I want them to, to, you know, take ownership of this. And so both Alicia and Becky said to me, that's a great idea, Kim, let's do it. And I'm like, well, what can we do? And they said, cause they live right on the Yellowstone river. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I don't know. And I go, what if we did some water quality research with the kids and have them go out and collect some data. And at the end of the year, they have to share their data. And they are like, Oh, that's an awesome idea. Well, I, 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 ha- I have a little bit more funding at my school than they do. And so I, I found this <laughs> old Hawk water quality test kit and I had to blow the dust off of it. And I opened <laughs> it and it was basically brand new. And um, so I started doing some research on what do I need to do with this and who are the stakeholders and is there anybody out there that can help me and blah, blah, blah. And so it kind of morphed into this project. And I, when my AP kids came in at the year, at the beginning of the year, I thought I always teach ecology first. And so I said to him, I said, you guys, I have this idea and I really want you to do it, but I need you to actually want to do this. And so I said, here's my proposal. We go out and we test water quality at two places along the East Gallatin river once a month. And then at the end of the year, you guys analyze all that data and you present your data. And they're all like, eh, okay, sounds cool. We get out of school, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take you out there together, all the whole group once. 
And they're like, yeah, okay. Well, so then I started beg borrowing and pleading with people and I got Sims, uh, which is headquartered in Bozeman. So Sims Fishing donated um, waders to us. And I went to our Gallatin County Water Quality District. They wrote me a grant um, or we wrote a grant together to get some digital colorimeters from Hawk. Um, so they're a little bit more accurate. And I started working with this group called the Yellowstone Ecological Research Center because they were doing water testing on the Yellowstone. My friends in Livingston ended up not being able to do it. And I took all of the kids out in um, early October. I guess it was late October. So we went to the river and it was it snowed. Which <laughs> is pretty typical of, of Montana fall. And um, anytime I take a field trip, I feel like it rains or snows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these kids are in the river and I kind of just stood back and I was like, okay, this is what it's all about. Because they, you know, we talked about it in class. How do you do this? What do you need to collect? And I could hear them going, wait a second. We need another trial on that side of the river. We need this. And I, my heart was happy because I was just like, they're doing science. And um, so after that, I had a group of four once a month would get the equipment and they'd go out by themselves and collect this data. And then after the AP exam, they sat down and we crunched numbers and they did this presentation and I was so impressed. It was probably one of my shining moments in, in teaching because I didn't do anything. And I had, I told the kids, I said, I'm going to invite the public to this. And of course they were like, you're going to do what? (laughs) We have to stand up in front of people we don't know and, and talk about what we've done And I said, yeah, that's part of science, you guys, is sharing what you've learned. And and so it was interesting for me to watch the progression of them, you know, going out on their own time, collecting this data, crunching the numbers. And they and it was kind of funny to watch because it was the most well choreographed presentation I think I've ever seen. And so picture I had 30 kids from two different classes who came together at lunchtime and were like, okay, you do this slide, you do that slide, you do that slide. And they did an amazing job. And one of the people that was there from the public said to them, well, what does this mean to you? And I had this girl who, one of the smartest girls I've ever taught, she said, you know, when KP, that's what they call me. When KP said we were going to do this, I was like, whatever, I guess I'll do it because everybody else is doing it. And she goes, you know, I didn't think I'd like it, but she said it was pretty cool to be outside and figure out what's going on. And she said, I, I'm outside all the time. Kids in Montana are. We mm. Just the other day, I had a kid bring me deer steaks from he was hunting and he was like, KP, I brought you a present. I'm like, what is it? Some deer steaks. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm having for dinner this weekend, but our kids are outside a lot. But I think they take it for granted because mm-hmm. I can drive 10 minutes and be at a trail and be away from people and anything except the bears, <laughs> um, you know, in 10 minutes. And the kids are like that. They're, they're, they fly fish, they hike, they run, they, they're outside, they hunt, all the kids hunt. In fact, I had a girl bring in, we're doing my hair unit in forensics and she 
brought in some moose hair so, so that we could look at moose hair. And I said, where'd you get this? She goes, oh, I shot a moose a few years back. And I'm like, oh my gosh. She goes, yeah, I got the tag when I was 13, which being able to get a moose tag is unheard of. And especially when you're 13, yeah. I was like, wow, can I touch you? Because you are <laughs> like the golden child. She goes, yeah, I couldn't believe it. But that's what our kids do. But I don't think they make the connection like what is really going on with the water or the land or whatever. And so I just wanted to give them the opportunity to do that. And I was blown away by their ownership of it and, and how cool it was. And it was so funny because that same girl said to these people, you know, I don't like waiters. I didn't want to have to wear waiters. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I think our kids are out there, but for them to truly understand what is going on, what, how does our human impact impact the river? Like that's one of the hugest or biggest um, um, industries in Montana. And if you fly into Montana or leave um, the airport in Bozeman, Montana in the summer, 90% of the people getting on or off the plane are going to have a fly rod in their hand. So the waters are huge around here in terms of recreation and, and, you know, money in, in the state. And so I, what started out as just, I want kids out there outside and collecting data and analyzing data and presenting their data turned into something I thought anyway, much bigger than that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and we're, we're continuing, we're continuing it this year. Um, so my AP kids are back out there. I have some kids going out this weekend, um, so they're out there again this year. And so, and I actually have Livingston got some funding to buy the equipment. So this year, um, at the end of the year, the kids from park high and Belgrade high school will then present their data together. Oh, and I'm working on a, basically a water forum that hopefully in the next few years will turn into, um, a, a day of lots of schools coming together and, and having, um, my my dog somebody is driving on the road my dog is barking i'm sorry <laughs> but, um i'm hoping to get some university professors who will present their research to the kids like in the morning and then the kids will present in the afternoon that's my pie in the sky dream which was one of your other questions that's really what i hope to to develop and do in the next few years um of teaching so Neat. We'll see. I'm working yeah. on it. <laughs> so I, what I so it's funny you're talking about going outside because I do. I will say, um, if if one uh, percent of my students hunt, I would be pretty surprised uh, just based off of where my school is. Uh, where I live, um, I live kind of in the central part of the state, and where I live, actually, the I I, I there are hunters, and uh, like I I know it's I know it's currently bow hunting season, and I know when. Uh, the gun season starts for deer because I run, do a lot of trail running myself. And so I know when the orange has to come out. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so when you said got a deer, I was like, wait a minute, do you, they have guns? Are they, are they still archery season out there? Because in Massachusetts, we're still in no, it's rifle season right now. It's yeah, rifle so now. It's yeah, yeah. So we're, yeah. we're still, we're still like, this is like the most, uh, <laughs> this is the most rural conversation I've ever had. Uh, but, <laughs> but my first year teaching, I taught in a, even, I taught even more in the Western part of the state. And I remember, um, I grew up in a college town, so I had friends who hunted and stuff like that, but it wasn't me. I lived in, you know, downtown in a, in a college town. Uh, what did I know about hunting? And I remember the first day of hunting season, I came in like to my first period class and I was teaching 
uh, physics to seniors in that class. And I walked in and they're like, we're no boys in the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I walked in and I was like, where are all the boys? And I remember this girl, the senior girl who looked at me and said, it's the first day of hunting season. And the, the venom that came out with like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> was like like it was just one of those cultural awareness things like oh i don't know the culture of the school like even though i was from you know 25 minutes away it was a yeah. it's a hunting culture that was in that school and yeah. in that town because it was in the northwest part of the state and um yeah so like where i live i know people hunt and i when i go on my runs i run by several gun clubs and i know i i if i run early um, usually yeah. when I'm running early and I'm coming in, there's always like some pickup trucks on the edges of the trails and, you know, right. uh, and usually they're coming out because, you know, I don't run that yeah. early, um, because yeah. it, it'd be dangerous, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, if you're going, if you're going in at like nine in the morning, if you get to a trailhead at like nine in the morning around here, it's not uncommon for people to be like at their truck, you know, right. sitting on the edge and, and hanging out and stuff like at the yeah. edge of the trail. Um, yeah. I was at a conference a few years ago and it's been quite a few years in San Diego. And I was talking about how I was really excited because I had a mom of one of my students call me and she said, Kim, I got a tag for a damage hunt. Do you want anything? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she goes, well, most of the time I'm going to kill an elk that is pregnant. So I could bring you the fetus. And I'm like, sweet. And so I now have, um, the kids have named him Elmer. Um, but I have an elk fetus in a jar that this mom brought me. And so I'm telling this story at a conference and there were some people from New York City there. And this guy goes, no, wait, wait a second. You had a mom call you and ask you if you want parts. And I was like, yeah. And I have an elk heart that is amazing. Like, it's so cool to look at this elk heart and it's so big. We had to, I'm an AP kid's basically dissect it and we flipped it inside out so you could fit it in the jar because it's so big. Wow. And I, I pull it out all the time when we're talking about, you know, the circulatory system and this animal is giant and it needs to be able to run really fast at a moment's notice when the wolves are chasing it in Montana. And yeah. so it, it's, but that's just normal for us. Um, I, my sister used to own a company, uh, well with her husband and the first day of hunting season was a paid holiday for them. So <laughs> that's that's just that's the culture of Montana. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so. Uh, what I was saying is I, uh, my kids, I do send them out into their trails um, where they live in town yeah. in Acton. I don't think there's much hunting in the town I teach in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just it's, a, you know, it's closer to Boston. It's inside 495. Like I it's just the I mean, just even that 35 minute drive from where I live to where I teach is yeah. is a is a cultural shift as you move to the western part you know central part of the state and even more as you go to the western part but what i did get them i do have a, a project early on with my honors kids where i have them go out and i have them go to the different conservation lands in town and you know uh -huh. start to make some observations and do that and um Yesterday, I was actually setting up an application. Um, I was able to get uh, trail cams um, this past year. Yeah. And so I'm doing an application where any student who lives near a conservation land can apply to get this, one of the, our school trail cams and then yeah. set it up in their house. And we're going to do sort of like a wild cam Gorongosa, but we're going to do oh, like, awesome. we're going to do like a wild cam AB. And so yeah. what I'm going to have them do is I'm going to have them do that and then bring me the photos and videos every month. And I'm going to drop them onto a drive that I can put up onto our, our class website so people can access yeah. it. And then I'm thinking that for term four, what I'm going to have 
different groups do because we have a I mean we have ten sections of honors biology. Um, oh you know, we God. have two we have two hundred twenty eight kids, two hundred thirty kids, something like that, who are taking honors bio. So when we do group projects, you have to be able to chop it up. But that we're right. gonna get so much data from those trail cams that I'm gonna have them code out the data like they do on Wildcam and create yeah. a spreadsheet, and then each group can then do a pivot table to ask their own question, so that. The group project will have twofold. One will be a sort of a data entry piece where they'll all be responsible for entering a certain amount of data into it. And then they'll have to do their own like CER where they have to generate their own question they, that they get from having gone through that. They're going to hopefully get some ideas about some patterns or things that they'll see from doing that data entry. And then mm -hmm create a pivot table like you do in the wild cam Gorongosa and do that. So it's, it, I'm trying to sort of similar idea of getting them out and, yeah. and seeing the kinds of things that they could see behind their house. And I think that's a very similar thing to like the river is such a part of where you are. Everybody right. knows the river. They all know where it is. And so you're getting them out to this thing that they just take for granted. They're like a little wild, yeah. you know, they're wildlife blind or plant blind uh, to the stuff around mm -hmm. them. And yeah. Well, it's so funny because I think um, I have them do a macroinvertebrate survey when they go out. And mm -hmm. those guys totally nerd out, which I get so excited about. The water chemistry, they're not so into. They, I think they like it when they start crunching numbers and looking at how is it changing. And then we can make, um, you know, develop those questions like you're talking about or saying, okay, well, this is where the temperature dropped to minus 20. And so we would expect this change, <laughs> you know, whatever they're seeing. But the cool part that they really get into is that macro invertebrate survey and looking at those critters. And it's so, some of them, of course, are like, ew, you know, <laughs> some of them are just like, ooh, this is cool. What's this? And so I get these pictures when they're out on their own. I get these pictures. KP, do you know what this is? Uh, no, but let me check. Um, <laughs> and I have several friends who are fishing guides in the summer that work at the school and they're always asking, Hey, Kim, do, can, can I go on your field trip with you? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but they also want to go on my Yellowstone field trip too. Cause I take my AP kids to Yellowstone every year after the test. I, I so, want to go on your Yellowstone field trip. <laughs> you can come anytime. It's awesome. It, Yellowstone is my favorite place. And I got that just by working with the thermobiology Institute. And it's just such an amazing place. And it's interesting living 90 miles north of that, how many of my students haven't been there or when they do go there, they just are looking for, you know, bears and bison and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's boring. Let's go look at the microbes. Yeah. <laughs> They're just, they roll their eyes at me a lot. Um, but it, it's pretty, it's fun to see them make the connection to, because everything we talk about in class, you see in Yellowstone. And yeah. so it's fun to watch them make that connection between their backyard and what they're learning in school. Yeah, you could do like like Jason Crean storylines and just do the whole year be Yellowstone, yeah. <laughs> like different parts of Yellowstone. I've thought about that and I, I really want to do that. I, I would love to build a giant storyline around Yellowstone, because like I said, you, you could do it. Everything that we teach in biology is seen in Yellowstone. And so, um, I keep thinking about it, but you know, it's like, holy cow, that's a big project. Um, I don't know if I have time to do that. 
So uh, anyway, maybe someday. Uh, yeah, I'll show up on your desk one day and it'll be like me and it'll be Jason. It'll be a couple other people and we'll <laughs> knock on awesome. your door. <laughs> and, that uh, would be awesome. You guys yeah. come to Montana. I'll take you to Yellowstone and we can write a storyline together. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna make sure I, I let Jason know about that because uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been working on a lot of storylining stuff in AP and there's stuff I like um, and, stuff yeah. I, and stuff I don't like and stuff that has been going really well and something really cool. Um, like I was just yesterday standing up in front of my kids and um i'm doing a story with our ap kids that ties together um, macromolecules protein synthesis signal transduction behavior uh, signal transduction pathway and behavior um yeah and it's all in this one story and we did it like out of halloween we showed this uh video of these fruit flies that get turned into zombie fruit flies um, uh-huh because they get uh infected with a fungus um because there's a oh. really cool, really cool paper I out of harvard yeah yeah, and so like my uh, my my teaching partner uh, actually put together this storyline storyline after we had sort of thought about ideas and and uh, it's been really cool. But I was standing up and I I'm like doing this challenge question about this um, about a signal transduction pathway, and yeah. even though we had all of these different topics that were related. I was pointing at the signal transduction pathway here and I'm like, all right, well, how are macromolecules related to it? And they're like, well, there's where the lipids are and there's where the nucleic acids are and there's where the proteins are and there's the carbide. All right. Well, what about the, and so like we kept doing like all of the different parts and they could see within looking at a signal transduction pathway, all of these big, broad topics. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was like, yeah, this is the idea that we started with this really interesting hook and then unpacked it or helped the students yeah. unpack it uh, to get to this place. So um, I would say in three years, we're going to have a really great curriculum. Um, right now it's like, it's, it's like fun and it's emerging. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of cool. So uh, cool. yeah. And I like this, the, the second workshop, the one that you inadvertently was helping or were helping with um, the, the, the flavor tripping uh, Chris Chow's oh, uh, yeah. one that she's doing. <laughs> Uh, that that one we're going to use that um, hopefully in an uh, an upcoming one when we do because um, we do PTC tasting and so that's yeah. going to be like a little bit of heredity and a little bit of uh, genetics and a little bit of neuron or a lot of neuron uh, stuff yeah. we do PTC tasting but we're also going to do the the Miracle Berry as well so those are going to be the that's couple cool. of things that we flowing together I use that T the gym gymnemna is that how you yeah. say it so and last year was the first time I did that I. Each year, I feel like, and and again, you asked me about the online community. Yeah. Um, In Montana, we, I feel like we get a little bit isolated because we're such a big state and to get any place else, like I can't just go next door and talk to other teachers. It just, it's, it, I, but I think that's hard in your area too. I just think we don't have the time to do that, but that's why that whole online, uh, like the Twitter um, and AP Bio Facebook page and NGSS Facebook page have been so good to me because I was like, well, maybe I should try this. And so I did the tea last year and my kids were not very happy with me, but <laughs> it was super yeah. cool to see them making that connection, like you said. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I haven't done the Miracle Berries. I know I met Chris last year, two years ago, I guess. Um, through a friend of mine from Murdoch. And mm-hmm. um, that's how I ended up helping with that <laughs> um, <laughs> workshop, which was cool. I, I it, it was interesting to see the Miracle Berry because I'd seen that. And another friend of mine who was sitting next to me in that, uh, who's also a Murdoch Trust partner, um, he said that he had just bought one of those plants for his classroom. Oh. So he was going to try and grow it and see if he could get his own berries. <laughs> so- <laughs> 
Well, so you, you brought up the online idea. And one of the things about you that's really funny, and I was kind of joking it, is that I think your behavior online is like much more like most teachers because, yeah. um, and, and by the way, so am I. Like as weird as this is, as I am somebody, I post probably more on Twitter. Or I'm like a semi- active Twitter user, but not really. It's, it's something that's out of my yeah. car, uh, uh, comfort zone, but you are like much more representative of like most online people where your posts are few and far between. Like if you go into the Facebook groups and you search, you've posted like two or three things in the community, <laughs> two or three things in the NABT. Uh, you know, like I think you have like a dozen tweets maybe like, but yeah. you have like 4,000, but you have like four or 5,000 likes. Like <laughs> I, do. I love all of that stuff and I get so much from it. And to be honest with you, and this is part of why I avoided you for so long. I was like, <laughs> why, why is he asking me to do this? What do I have to offer? I, I, and I think I told you at that, at Paul Strode's um, workshop, like I have this major imposter syndrome thing going on. Like I don't feel like I do anything different or cool, but I just get so much from so many other people and I try it out. And I, it's funny. People are like, KP, you have no classroom management issues. How do you do it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I feel like I try and set up this culture of we're all in this together and let's all be friends and let's all get along and let's be respectful of each other. And it, it works, but they're like, well, how do you set up that culture? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, it's funny because I just, I look at all that stuff and I'm like, well, I stole this from somebody else. So I don't feel like I should be posting it as my own because I, I don't know. I guess I just feel like I just, I just teach. I, I do what I do and I'm not sure that, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Well I just, I just like the fact that I got you to say that you have imposter syndrome like 40 minutes into this recording after you explained your you know connections to Yellowstone, your work <laughs> with other teachers with the Murdoch Trust, and this like bonkers, crazy water quality thing that you got your kids to do and present to people. So like- yeah. I, and I think that's one of the funny things about like that this this may be one of my favorite shows ever because like yeah. as much as I love Paul and you know Paul Strode and I love you know Lee Ferguson, I don't need to get Paul and Lee on here to have people like discover the amazing work that they do. But you are like hiding. You're like <laughs> you're like you're like the stealth OBTA. Um, and yeah. it was funny. Like, and I realized that, like, because we were in the room together. I, I don't know if you went to Providence for that NABT. I did. Uh, I did. Yeah. That's so, where I got my award. Yeah. So I was in that room with you because I was the OBT for Massachusetts that year. <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, and so, so what happened after that is they were like, hey, Kim, since you're from Montana, can you be the um, OBTA director for the state? And of course, yeah. sure. You know, so, um, <laughs> but I will say this, like, I... When I, when I got that award, not one person in my school said anything. And yeah. so when I was, the, the, I asked the school if they would help me pay for my hotel to go to the conference. And they were like, yeah, here's some money for it. And so I had to take my PO into um, our finance secretary. And she was talking to me about it. She goes, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I got this award. And she goes, are you kidding me? How come I don't know about this? I was like, I don't know you know, they sent a letter and, and my principal knows, my superintendent knows. And she goes, well, this is BS. And so <laughs> she called the newspaper and she was very irritated. And, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess I did a pretty good thing. And so 
I've kind of made it my mission to whenever teachers in my district or in my area do something cool, I try and celebrate them um, just because I don't know. Like I said, I feel like there's so many teachers doing great things that we don't know about. And I, I do. I tend to hide in the background. And, and I have um, a colleague that I teach with our chemistry prof- uh, teacher who just got a grant. And so, of course, I sent the email out to the school like, hey, everybody congratulate her. And she said, well, Kim, um, you just got a finalist for the presidential award again, and you haven't said anything. I was like, yeah, I know. We don't need to do that. It's not about me. <laughs> I want to celebrate everybody else. And so I don't I don't know if that's it, but it just is. I don't know. I guess, like I said, I, I do feel like I have imposter syndrome. I just do what I do. And I don't know that it's any different. And like, I went to uh, San Diego last year for NABT and I went to Ryan's um, workshop. He had the kids graphing those survivorship curves. And I'm like, that's so cool. So of course I emailed him and he was so kind and he sent me all of his stuff so I could have my kids do that this year. So I feel like I don't, I just steal things from everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the irony is, is that uh, you don't um, <laughs> because you didn't steal that water quality project. You, you made that, you know, and then the other thing is, is that we, that's what we all do. Like we yeah. all are inspired by what other people do. Like if you walked into my room and you saw what I do, it's pretty unique and it's pretty different. Um, but yeah. the reason it is, is because it's, it's like my remix of like, yeah. It's my remix of stuff I've picked up from John Darko and from Ryan and, yeah. from, and from Paul and from like all of these different people. And mm-hmm. like, I, you know, you sit down and you have these conversations and, you know, I was going to ask also about like, you know, what, what you got out of NABT. And I think you sort of are hitting that idea that like, it's just this, you get these, pick up these little things here and there yeah. that then yeah. if you, I think the the difference between somebody who like, is just on those boards and on those groups and just sees the like, like fire hose volume of great ideas that comes at you, particularly yeah. if you're in your career and you don't know how to parse all that stuff. And somebody who's a veteran teacher who has like an identity, like I have an ethos in my classroom. Like I know like who I am and I know who, what my authentic teaching looks like. So when I pick up an idea, I like to pick up that idea and figure out how that idea fits into the thing that I already do. Um, yeah. And I think that that's the kind of thing we get at these conferences. Like you see something and say, oh yeah, I could incorporate that into my practice. Now let me incorporate yes. it again, just not take it. Right. Uh, and I do. And it was interesting because I um, have been trying to integrate more modeling into my classroom. So I went to Lee's um, half hour. She and Desi did a half hour um, session on modeling in the classroom. And then I also went to the American modeling, well, I guess they didn't sponsor, but there were some teachers that did one of the three-hour workshops on Thursday, and I went to that, and it was great. And so, yeah, I've picked out little things from both of those, and I came back, and of course, I'm like, you guys, guess what? Here's something that's going to help you, like, understand this concept better, and I did it. And they were like, yeah, you're right, KB. And of course, they're rolling their eyes as I'm doing it, but Yeah. (laughs) yeah, and for me, more than anything, I feel like this time of year is hard for all teachers. Like we're tired. Yeah. You're looking at like, is winter break ever going to come? And can can I make it through? Can I get these last set of tests graded and that sort of thing? And you I go to that and I always feel refreshed. Like I'm exhausted when I leave it. I everybody says, How was Chicago? I was like, Well, the Sheridan Grand was awesome. Like <laughs> I feel like you you don't ever leave it, right? But yeah. 
you go and you see all this stuff and you hang out with like-minded people who want to improve their practice. And for me, that's, that's huge. Like to, to have that energy of let's get better. And here's this, and here's that. And you're thinking in your head, every time you're in one of those classes, how do I incorporate this into my classroom? It's just like with, I was so disappointed when I went to Paul's um, session, like, where can I get this? <laughs> you can't have it yet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Cause they're, yeah. they're in development. Yeah. 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 And I did I went to another one, same thing. You can't have this yet. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> but I saw so, you, you were doing the same thing I was doing. I took ferocious notes. Like <laughs> I did too. I did too. And I just, I know you did something like that, that I can use in my classroom. So I love going to NABT and my school doesn't help me pay for it. And I look yeah. at it as like, this is, this is worth it to me. It's expensive, but I, it's like, I can't take it with me. So I might as well spend it and use it. So. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think for me, that's a big thing too. I, my school doesn't help me out with it either. Um, but it's, it's completely worth it. Um, and again, yeah. I, I'm on record as saying like, I hate December. Like December in school is the worst month of the year. Um, I'm like actually, I'm so happy that Thanksgiving is late and we only have three weeks of school in December this year. Um, yeah. Because as much as I love the month of June, um, in terms of like weather wise, like December is the opposite. That every day is getting darker, not every day getting yeah. lighter. Like, <laughs> like it's yeah. every day gets colder. Um, right. It's, it's, it, like by the time you get to break, and especially here because we're way over on the eastern side of the eastern. Uh, time zone like yeah. by the end of December it's like dark when I leave my house it's dark when I get home it's like it's 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 I am I I just the the weather and the light just really drives me down but you're right NABT definitely gives me this little bump in mood to carry me through and then like there is this sense of renewal about december break like when you get through that winter break there is this sense of like you know what every day is literally more bright than the day before (laughs) (laughs) as you move to the end of the school year and for me like that that component like and i don't mind running in the cold and i like something some reason december is always dark and january is always bright like That's how I feel about those two months. And as much as cold and as like terrible the weather is, is in January and February, like it feels brighter in yeah. January than it does in I December agree. every year. So it's funny because here in January it's always bright, but that also means it's minus twenty degrees. And so I I don't get out too much, um, <laughs> but I do. I have another conference I go to. It's the Murdoch National Conference in January, and it's always in San Diego. So. I leave here and it's minus 20 and I land in San Diego and it's 75 and I'm like, okay, I can make it to spring break now. So it's like NABT gets me through to San Diego in January and then I get to spring break and it's like, I'm lucky that I have these (laughs) conferences that I can go to. And it's kind of the same thing at that conference. It's just like you have this energy about the whole conference and then to see bonnie bassler oh she's like my hero i love her and i use her ted talk every year and (laughs) to hear her talk it it was awesome and i actually you know wrote a couple quotes that she said and i've shared them with my kids and like yeah okay yeah that yeah right i'm not quite as into it as you are kp but you're right (laughs) (laughs) yeah she was she was pretty dynamic that was amazing yeah all right. Well, I think we've uh, we've exhausted my pre-planned questions. So uh, before we, uh, before we get to you asking me questions and what you do when you're not teaching, um, 
are there any other things aside from like this water quality test? Are there other things that you're looking forward in your classroom that we haven't talked about um, in the next couple of years? Um, well, I, I saw that you, and you had this listed as, um, something, uh, like a pick coming up. I just applied. Well, I just filled out the form to apply to the HHMI ambassador program. Yeah. You stole my pick. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'll share the link as my pick at the end, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I just applied for that and I actually, um, the NEA, the National Education Association, the union, um, I guess they do this thing called, it's a, a program called TLI, which is Teacher Leadership Institute. And mm-hmm. um, so our union, uh, I don't know exactly what his title is, but he, I've met him after being involved or applying for the presidential award a couple of times. And he always says to me, so Kim, when are you going to apply and do your national boards? And I'm like, I just don't know if I have time for that. I, I have some friends that have done it and it sounds amazing, but yet. I don't think I have time for it. And so he, he said to me a couple months ago, hey, Kim, you should uh, do this TLI thing, which is kind of a mini version of um, kind <laughs> of, of a part of national boards. So, of course, being the person I am, I'm like, OK. <laughs> and so it's kind of a cool deal in terms of it really has you reflect on you as a teacher. And then you you basically develop a capstone where you're going to do something as a teacher leader. And so I'm working on that right now. So I'm kind of excited to see what I come up with. I have a few ideas. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be, but um, yeah, so it's something that I'm hoping that I can implement and then use. Um, and, And actually this conversation has kind of inspired me, like maybe I should start sharing more things. Um, (laughs) So I don't know. We'll see where it goes, but I, I'm I'm kind of excited about that. I'm hoping that that will inspire me to keep teaching. I've I've thought I'm at year 24, so I'm like, okay, so am I ready to move on to the next thing, or do I keep teaching? I love teaching. I love my kids, but there's you know, as you know, a lot of stuff outside of teaching that wears on you, and so I'm hoping that TLI and maybe this HHMI ambassador program, if I get into that, will inspire me to keep teaching. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am definitely, uh, in the trenches in terms of, cause this is year 24 for me as well. Um, teaching yep. wise. So yeah. it's a lot of, a lot of weird parallels. Like I think we're supposed to have been friends for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you know, a decade and a half ago, I'm hanging out with like, uh, you know, Walt and, and Jenny Combs, who's from Bozeman all the time yes. online. Yes. And you know who both of they the, the are yep. there. If you yeah. brought my name up with either of them, I'm sure they would have lots of stories. Uh, <laughs> I emailed Walt this morning and said, hey, guess what I'm doing today? <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm sure that he will come back with uh, a very good story. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Jenny, because basically Walt turned over the program to Jenny and then right. like, Jenny and I worked together for years um, yeah. together on that program. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can totally see what you're talking about in terms of the, I, I understand the grind outside. Um, but yeah, I just, when I look at the other things that you can do when you're not teaching and not being with kids, it's like, yeah, yeah. but the kids are the reason. Like, the, I know. <laughs> like, I know. like every one of those other things is like, so the part of my job I don't like, like, you know, being in a meeting or like having to deal with those other things as much as I can walk out on education policy, like, but it's the kids and it's the biology right. for me. So like, right. yeah, I, I have a hard time in any of those other jobs, but I do think about that. Like, 
oh gosh, I'm, I'm not that far away from, you know, being done. I'm more yeah. than halfway through my career at this point, you know, right. is there, is there something else that I would do after this? And that is always yeah. a, a thing that I'm starting to think about and turn over in my head as my, my family ages and my, you know, my career, <laughs> career gets into the, the, the back half of it to, to figure out what yeah. those next things are. Oh, I know my parents, um, still, I, I grew up on a ranch. Um, mm-hmm. and so my parents raised beef cattle and they still do, and they're old. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I keep thinking, they keep asking me like, so are you going to retire soon? Do you want to come take over the ranch? And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I can do that, you know, but I do miss parts of being on the ranch, but I don't know that I could, uh, <laughs> take it over and run the ranch. But anyway, I, I miss the day. I, I think I would miss the daily interaction with the kids. And like, you know, it's funny. I, I can wake up and be tired and exhausted and like, oh my God, I can't do this. And you walk in and those kids are so self-centered. But to me, that's the beauty of it. It's just like, well, no, let's do something here. And and you get their energy and it's like, okay, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the kids are definitely that renewal piece and um, yeah. great for a check. So, yeah. all right. So uh, before we get to questions for me and picks, uh, what do you do when you're not teaching and I had a little bit of an inkling, uh, not that you have any spare time, but, uh, what do you do when you're not teaching? Um, well, I'm on a bike team, so I race bikes, um, which to be honest with you is just an excuse for me to get outside. Um, so when I moved to Bozeman, all I did was run and that was hard on my body. And I, I actually coached middle school cross country. And a few years ago I was at practice and I was running with the high school kids, which I should know better. And (laughs) I tore my meniscus. And so I had to have surgery on my knee. And, um, so I don't run as much as I used to. Um, it's, you know, three years later, it's finally getting to the point where I feel like I can run again and, and not worry about, am I going to be able to walk tomorrow? Um, but when I first moved to, uh, Bozeman, it's like I started trail running because up until then I'd only run on the pavement, which Hmm. you probably know is not easy on your body. And so I started, um, biking. And then, uh, this friend of mine was like, Hey Kim, have you, uh, thought about bike racing? And I'm like, no, why would I do that? And then (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll try it. And so I do. And, um, then a few years ago I bought a gravel bike and, um, so I ride I, I, the, my favorite races are now gravel races. So I go to, um, a race called the dead Swede in Sheridan, (laughs) Wyoming. And I also do a race called the crusher and the tushers, which is in, um, uh, um, Utah. And it's, (laughs) it, it, you're crushed when you finish it. So I, I ride my bike all the time. My kids always make fun of me because, um, I have six bikes and, um, they're like, don't you have enough? And I was like, no, you never have enough bikes. Yeah. Um, and in the wintertime, I like to ski. I Nordic ski. Um, and my kids think I'm funny because I, who, why would you do that? That's hard work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sit on a chairlift and then slide down. So um, <laughs> I Nordic ski in the wintertime once we get snow. We don't have any snow yet. So, um, but that's, okay. yeah, I, I just am outside every chance I can get. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we don't get enough. We, we have not had good enough snow consistently the last few years yeah. for, for the Nordic skiing um, around here. There are some, you know, stretches we get where it's there uh, where we have snowpack for a long period of time. But yeah. um, I, I, I am definitely a trail, a trail runner myself and a road runner. And yeah. I was actually surprised how good I felt running in Chicago. Um, yeah. You know, run, running on pavement every day. Cause I, I don't run on pavement every day. <laughs> yeah. Especially this time of year, this time of year, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm inside a lot cause it's dark as I said. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, between that and then on the weekends, like today, I will go out and definitely weave through some of my favorite trails as best I can. Yeah. That's um, my plan. It, I, I'm on my trainer. I write, I have a trainer for my bike that I ride a lot during the week, just because like you said, you get home and it's dark. And I, if I don't get a workout in, I just get, my kids call it, I get twitchy. <laughs> so okay. um, yeah, I just feel like I need that exercise. So I try and ride my trainer, but we had a good snow year last year and I skied a lot, but um, I'm still waiting for it this year. Well, I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Uh. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get to pick the episode, do you have any questions for me? I, I do actually because – and we started talking about it at Paul's um, uh, class. So yeah. um, my school – this year for the first year we have PLCs and um, – mm-hmm. Our middle school has moved into standards-based grading, and I could go into a whole tirade about how they've done it and that sort of thing, but I know that that's coming at our school, and so right now we're really focused on standards-based instruction, which I agree 100% with. Like, we should all be teaching to the standards, and, you know, whether a kid is in my class or somebody else's biology class, they should have the same opportunity to succeed, but I know that you had mentioned that you are not grading as much. And so I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that and and kind of how it's working for you, because I'm really interested in, I know it's coming down the pike for me in terms of standards-based grading. And so I need to figure out how is this going to look in my classroom? So I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah. So we're experimenting with a a form of standards-based grading um, in our AP labs this year. Mm -hmm. So um, we, just a little bit of context, and I I think I've said this on a couple of past podcasts, but we changed our schedule this particular year and we went from, you know, eight periods, one through eight, 47 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, no rotation, no drop schedule, um, where we met seven times in a six-day cycle for AP. So we would have class every day, say like fourth period, and then one out of every six days, we would get an extra lab period, either the period before or the period after. So it wasn't much in the way of time. Um, And so when we were making a schedule, we moved to a seven classes that students sign up for, but every day we have six classes that drop one and we rotate. And we rotate. Uh-huh. So you have a different, it's always the same order, but like, it's basically a waterfall, uh, that you have like a period to start the day. And then the the period that was before it is dropped. And that will be your first period the next day. And then the uh-huh. last period you have a day drops the next day and it, it sort of waterfalls around. And so your lunch period shifts every day and, you know, a lot of logistics to figure out. But when we did that, we asked for making our AP labs every other day. Because mm-hmm. they were not going to schedule us the labs the way they were in our previous schedule. And now we have 55-minute periods instead of 47, which is awesome. Yeah. But we're also dropping once every seven days, which means that the time we gain is really time lost in that drop. Right. And we're like, 
we need labs. And our physics teachers were like, we're not going to call it AP physics anymore if we don't get a lab every other day. And the chemistry teachers are like, we're not going to call it AP chemistry if we don't get a lab every other day. And the biology teachers were like, hey, can we get lab too? (laughs) Because they had, they had more lab time. They had eight meetings every six day cycle where we only had seven. And it is a like long legacy reasons as to why that happened. So anyway, they gave us the schedule. So now we had this extra class, but they didn't link them. So my lab students and my class students are not necessarily the same um so in my classes kids in your lab that are from a different teacher yes because we have because we have 125 kids who take ap biology in my school oh my goodness okay we're a school of 2000 so uh and we're very i only have 30 kids in my ap class and so yeah. So we have, a, and we're also like a very academically driven school, like yeah. very high pressure expectations kind of school. So uh, uh-huh. anyway, so we have 125. And so what they did is they have a five sections of class, but six sections of lab. So our lab sections are actually a little bit smaller and oh. they're disaggregated. So, so all of a sudden we have this new class that never existed before. And, you know, a normal person would just say, oh, all of this change, we should like, this is going to be an experiment. We should see how that is. But I'm not a normal person. So I was like, hey, this is an opportunity where we don't have any expectations for how this new thing is going to be graded. Let's grade it totally different than anything we've ever done before. (laughs) So uh, basically what we do is uh, we do labs and all of the labs we do in AP Biology, uh, we do, we do a baseline lab. Mm-hmm. where we introduce materials and methods, kids collect some initial data, we talk about that data analysis, we ask them to then brainstorm out questions that they have that they could investigate um, as a follow-up lab. We ask them to do a lit review using primary and secondary sources about that topic. We ask them to then, as a group, come to a single lab question, um, come up with a hypothesis that's based off of the research that they did, then to explain how they're going to tweak the baseline procedure to do their follow-up lab, collect data and analyze it, draw a conclusion, and then tell me what the next lab they would do. So those are my 10 lab sections, and they keep all of those in a lab notebook. And so Mm -hmm. we've been doing that for years. And so our labs, pretty much, we sort of vet our labs in that way. So any lab that is really kind of cool, but we can't figure out how to make that work, isn't inquiry enough. That's sort of our standard. Like, AP yeah. Lab is inquiry. We're working on um, science practices. So that's like one thing. So the one of their semester grades is their lab notebook. They also do a peer review of their lab notebook. So they'll trade lab notebooks with somebody else in the class who's not in their lab group and have them peer review about a week before when I collect it. So somebody else will flip through the three or four labs we've done for the quarter and give them feedback on whether or not their their sections look complete or not. I like that idea. Yeah. So that's one of their, that's like one of their major grades. We also have them turn one of those labs that they did in their lab notebook into a formal lab report that they write collaboratively with their lab group. And we format that like a a journal article, like they were submitting it to uh, Uh like the journal of journal of emerging investigators. In fact, we use, we use the JEI sections, like an abstract and an introduction and results. And we use that same format that JEI uses and our our rubric basically mirrors that. So they do that. Um, and then the last grade that they get is I have a journal that I have them do. So after every lab or two, I have them uh, look at the science practices, the six science practices in the new AP, and then find me pieces of evidence from their lab notebook or other things. Because sometimes we do like a whiteboard CER at the end of lab so that groups can share their results with other people. So we sometimes we do other sort of mini 
displays or like things like that. So, but some piece of evidence that they've gathered from their work in lab and then explain to me how they have, uh, how the thing that they've done, the piece of evidence they have is evidence of one of the six practices or one of the sub bullets of those six practices. And they keep that as a Google doc. Um, and I give them time to add that in a couple of times a quarter, um, and with a goal that they should have a representation of each of the six practices at least once every quarter. Wow. I like that. So as they're doing these things, I'm giving them lots of feedback. So yeah. uh, I'm looking at their bio journals and I check them a couple times a quarter. Um, are I they also, all like, online? Are they, are they the, a- those are all, so the, the lab notebooks are a physical hard, like you know, marble okay. notebook, old school there. So that's a piece of paper they have that they collect there. Their bio journals um, are an online Google doc that I shared and shared out through Google Classroom. So they all have their own. Um, and then the lab reports are also just digital. So those are all shared in, in classroom and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and so as they do their work, I provide them feedback. And this is where I stole from Paul Strode. I use Paul's feedback where I either tell them that their work is complete or I tell them that it is partial or that it needs a rework. And when I do that, I will make a note in my grade book. If it is complete, I give them 100 in my grade book. If it is partial, I give them a, a 75 in the grade book. And if it is a rework, I give them a, uh, a 50 in their book. And obviously, if they don't hand it in, I give them a zero because it's yeah. missing. Um, and so I give them that. And then I let them if, take partials or reworks and improve them. Okay. So I literally had groups that handed in their lab report at the end of September who then in their groups like went back and re like fixed the sections that they weren't complete because I was like, well, your introduction was really only partial for me. Your materials and methods was great. uh, So that's complete. Uh, But in your data, like this did this, this graph didn't make sense. like this statistical thing. I I didn't think this was very clear explained. So that's partial. Um, I don't like how your references were worked. So I give you a partial for your references. Generally speaking, your discussion was complete, but only two of your sections are complete. Most of them are partial. So I gave them back a partial as their grade, uh-huh. but I let them then take that feedback and then like right. improve upon it and then resubmit it to me to look at again. Um, and the same thing. A deadline for when they have to have all that. I mean, yeah, but like your quarter grade, you have yeah, to have but, all, Okay. That's what it, and that's like the funniest conversations that I have because I teach in this very pressurized school where everything is like deadline, 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 deadline. And they come to me and they're like, they're like, uh, can, can I, is it okay if I hand this in on Monday? And I was like, sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like my grades are due on Wednesday. So like, yeah. like get them to me by Tuesday. Cause if you give them to me on Wednesday, like I have to have my grades in. So like, right. uh, I, I, and so it, in some ways, I think for some people, this what I'm doing wouldn't work. Like, like what I've just said is probably super stressful. But my kids are like totally on top of it. So yeah. most of the feedback I'm giving, I'm giving them feedback on their journals and their notebooks and stuff like that as we go throughout the quarter. Right. And I don't like just like when you do like drafts of things. Like when kids submit drafts, uh-huh. it's a royal pain to collect and score and give back feedback to kids when they do stuff like that. Like right. that's a total pain. But if you ever do it, you know that the final product you get is so much better than if you yeah. don't collect that draft. So that last so, time you grade it, it's like not that difficult to grade. Yes. Um, and that's another thing is that these are also, I have my AP students are like kind of remarkable. Like, <laughs> like I, I teach in a place where my kids are kind of like rock stars. Um, so they are very hard on themselves. They are way harder on themselves than me. Yeah. Um, 
And so then the last thing that I actually asked them to do is I asked them, I asked them for their bio journal to give themselves a grade to justify what they think their grade is going to be for the quarter in lab. And most of them will say things like, well, I met all of the criteria and I did all this, but honestly, I could work harder. So I should get a B plus. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how stand that's not how standards work. Like yeah. you met all the standards. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you, get a, you get an A. <laughs> yeah. So my next question would be then, you know, what does your administration say about, because you're not putting grades in that often, right? Yeah. So, so we get a lot of pressure, like you have to have grades in, you know, every so often so that we can, and to be honest with you, it's more about, well, for parents, they want to know how their kids are doing. Um, yeah. But then also for sports teams, like, is this kid mm -hmm. eligible to play? You don't have any grades posted. So how's that kid supposed to know how they're doing? So I'm thinking like, I like that idea. I, I, I think it's awesome. Um, and I could see a way I could make that work, but then flip side is what do you tell your administration? Yeah. So I, I did go and talk to them beforehand. Um, yeah. as, a, as a general rule, running a school of 2000, um, is really, really hard. Yeah. Um, I don't get micromanaged at all. Like, awesome. <laughs> well, for a few reasons. One, like I'm old and I've been doing this a long time and I am not, and I'm not, and I, you're old, Aaron. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean? Relative yeah. to the people in my building. Yeah. I'm old. There's not a lot of teachers in my building that are much more senior than me. Um, yeah. And when I say old, I mean, I've been doing what I do right. for a long time. Yeah. Um, there's very few people in my building and, um, you know, they generally don't micromanage the OBTAs and the, <laughs> and you know, and the people who go to national conferences and the people who are like, you know, nominated for things and who get grants and stuff like that. Yeah. I am not a, I'm not a, like the administration, I am not a problem child. Like, like <laughs> I am not somebody that they micromanage. So that's one thing. Number two, our, uh, our grade books, um, our digital grade books are only open for viewing twice a quarter. They are oh. open at our midterm. They are open at the midterm and they're open at the end of the quarter. Um, I have mixed feelings about that. Um, like it, it works for me, um, in this system. Yeah. But I do wish there was more transparency, but for yeah. this particular population I'm dealing with, it's not a huge issue because if there is an issue, I'm communicating that back. Um, right. I tend to put in some grade holders. Uh, so like mm -hmm. for their, their bio journals, I check them early and then I put in like a placeholder, like progress check yeah. and I'll say midterm progress check on bio journal. It's not their final one, but it's there. And then I put their lab, lab their lab report grade in. And so they've got a couple of substantial grades in yeah. okay. like early. Um, that's there. But yeah, I went and I talked to them and, um, and they were okay with it. Their actually general feedback was standards-based grades. That sounds awesome. Could you explain to us how that works? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's very much outside of the, the norm of what we're doing, but I think it fits into yeah. sort of the, the, um, the philosophical direction. I think our school generally feels like if you were to talk to, uh, like some of the the leaders in our building, they feel like there's a disproportionate focus on grades and standards and placement and all of that stuff yeah. from families and students and stuff like that. And what I'm doing is focusing on the quality of students' work and having students reflect on yeah. their work. And what I'm doing fits in with the philosophy. So yeah. I'm not an outlier in philosophy. Right. Um, so yeah, I can see that. So the question then becomes like, I love what we're doing. I'm working with another teacher who I think this has been a bigger lift for. Mm -hmm. So 
um, and you know, being respectful of my colleague who's excellent, um, we have not had some deep conversations about how this works. And we've also had some conversations about what would happen if next year we decided to link our AP classes and our AP labs together. Right. Because this year there have been some problems that have popped up from a flexibility and sequencing and like it's hard. It's hard running a lab that is parallel and supportive of a class that meets every other day, yeah. but that occasionally drops. And then like, you know, the day before Thanksgiving for us, we do not have the week off before Thanksgiving. So we, we have, yeah, we have two and a half days and the day before Thanksgiving is a half day yeah. that is a senior like spirit day. So my seniors in that blue, so that's our, when our, we have blue and gold days. So my blue labs are blown out of the water the day before Thanksgiving. So like, I'm totally like, like that it, it, I'm losing it on that. And my blue days seem to be the ones that are being hit by like the half days and huh. like the assembly days yeah. and stuff like that. So my blue labs, I feel way behind mm -hmm. my, my gold days, even though they're every other day and it should be right. And we've lost some flexibility and all the other AP teachers feel the same way. They're like, my blue labs are behind my gold labs, mm -hmm. and which is a weird thing to say. But so we're starting to talk as a department amongst the AP teachers because there are six of us who teach a, uh, APs that have these extra labs uh -huh. um, that like what would what would be a remedy and I think we've come to the conclusion that if possible we'd like them to group together well that's the case then do we move forward with standards-based grades and make all of AP standards-based right. um, with this proficiency kind of model where yeah. we're looking at completion versus um, you know rework and that sort of thing or do we do we look at something else? Yeah. Um, and what would that look like if we make the whole class? If that if we make the whole class this way, it's actually easier because like in a lot of ways, the way we do our other work, and I've been sort of, you know, Trojan horsing in a lot of standards-based stuff <laughs> into what I what I do in my regular class. So the language of complete and partial and rework is how I grade my formative homework checks that yeah. I do every yeah. month. Um, so I've been putting them together, but I also want to be respectful of my colleague who does right. a very different things. So. And, and that makes sense. So. I think that's true of all of us who, yeah. who teach classes in conjunction with somebody else. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I think it's been good for the kids. Um, I think some of my kids are having a really hard time with it because yeah. they, I actually had kids come to me and say, I don't feel comfortable giving myself a grade, right. which is weird, but, um, I, but I respect it. So it's brought up some interesting conversations. It's made me think about grades and grading. You know, it's, it's added insight into the concepts of grade and grading that, um, I don't think you get unless you play with an alternative system. Yeah. Um, and it's not all, it's not all like puppies and rainbows. Like there right. are some drawbacks to the system yeah. and, you know, there will be certainly kids who will probably figure out how to game this system, just like kids game every other system. Right. But I haven't seen I haven't seen that really happen too too much yet. Yeah. Um, because it's such a novel concept. So. Well, and do you think too that has a lot to do with the fact that your population, it sounds like, is pretty motivated and academic? Sure, and I I I don't think I would do this with my say my honors class. My honors bio class, which are freshmen and sophomores, yeah. I've been saying this year, like I've been teaching our honors bio class for, for years and years and years. And I have been struck by now that I only have this one section of honors this year, yeah. how different the 
maturity and capability <laughs> levels are between my freshman sophomore class and my junior senior class. And it may be that I just have a couple of kids in this class that are like a little bit less academically prepared. And so they ask me, you know, less sophisticated questions that I'm used to in an honors class. Yeah. Uh, but the starkness between the level of expectations and maturity that I've dropped on my AP students and how well they've handled that yeah. versus these freshmen and sophomores who I'm doing a traditional system and they're so points focused and yeah. like, like they're, it really has felt like like I'm teaching in two different worlds between those two classes. Yeah. Um, it's it's been really stark this year. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I would try it with that group. I think I would need to do a lot of figuring out about how to make a system work with those type of kids because I think they would really struggle with that model. Yeah. Because they're they are so grade focused that it would be like teaching in a different language. Right. Uh, and see, that's so. the one I'm gonna have to switch more than anything is my regular, you know, bio one kids. That's the yeah. one that I'm going to have to go standards-based grading, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, and, and I'm on, I was on a master's committee last year for um, a teacher from Vermont and mm-hmm. Walt was the one that <laughs> got me into that. He, he will call me oftentimes and ask me to be a reader on these committees sometimes. And it was interesting hearing her perspective because in Vermont, I guess they're, requiring by the year 2021, I think, that all schools have to be proficiency-based grading. So it was, nice. it was interesting to hear her perspective on it and to hear your perspective on it because mine has not been very good. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear somebody speak positively about it, but it'll be interesting to see what happens for us in that. Yeah. And picking Paul's brain has been super helpful. Uh-huh. And and I've done that many times. I feel like every conversation I have with Paul, particularly once I record, um, it's going to be like, can, all right, can you stop and slow down and explain how you grade one more time? And it was on this. <laughs> yeah. So I like, I do feel like every single time I talk to Paul, yeah. I feel like I ask him the exact same questions about grading. And it took me like, four conversations <laughs> about his grading system and then him, him having him share with me the stuff he gives to his kids about grading yeah. and like and then actually saying okay how does this look in my class just what i was saying early like yeah. how do i remix this into my population yeah and yeah i there are definitely things that i've learned um about it and as i said i'm like sort of in the middle of it and i'm happy with it i put a lot of work to go in but i don't know how it looks or feels to my colleague about what we're doing. Um, And so, and we've had some conversations that seem positive, but I've also had some conversations where I think he's having, he's having some struggles in sorting out what it looks like for him in his practice um, that we just, we just need to discuss and and figure out. And it may be things that I'm just, I'm blind to because I I like, I like some of the aspects of what we're doing. So, so, all right. Picks of the episode. (laughs) Uh, so Kim, your pick is a book. Yeah, I'm reading. I'm reading the Bastard Brigade by Sam Keen right now, and I love it. He, uh, I saw him speak at NABT in Denver, and um, um, he wrote a book called The Violinist's Thumb, which yes, I do know that one. And I use that in my AP Bio class. So I have my AP Bio kids. They read a chapter, and then they we jigsaw it. So. I do it during my genetics unit and each kid draws a chapter and then they have to discuss with their classmates the story of the chapter as well as the science of the chapter. And so when I read, that was his first book that I read and I've been hooked. I've read all of his books except The Disappearing Spoon, which is about the periodic chart, Mm -hmm. I guess. But anyway, so 
anytime he comes out with a new book, I always pick it up and read it. And this one, I guess the older I've gotten, the more I enjoy um, history. I never was. I hated history when I was in high school and younger. And now I really, really enjoy it. And so this book is about the development of the atom bomb and how the allies were able to keep the Germans from getting the atom bomb in World War II. So I'm only halfway through it, but I, I really, really like it. And I, it's caused me to reach back into the cobwebs of college physics. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, there's a lot of physics in it. So I could see physics teachers um, using this book in class, um, as well as history teachers using this book in class. But I, I really like the way he writes. Um, and I, I, it's, it's been good for me to kind of, like I said, reach back and dust off the physics concepts that he has in there. So I really like it. I was realizing that I know The Disappearing Spoon as well. Um, so I know his books. And the kids really like it. I, it's funny because I'll have kids say, can I keep this book and read the whole thing? Well, yes, of course you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we've been sampling some chapters in some of our stories this year. So we read part of uh, Parasite oh. Rex uh, from Carl Zimmer uh -huh. um, in the storyline I was telling you about with the with signal transduction pathway and how parasites take yeah. over their hosts. We use that as well, um, a section there. So yeah, we, we've been definitely pulling a little bit more reading into our AP the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, I, I, and then I, I actually give my kids a chapter out of Ed Young's book, I Contain Multitudes. So yeah. I love that yep. book as well. So I'm a total, I love to read. I just feel like I never have enough time to do it. So. Yeah. I read a couple pages and then I fall asleep. Um. <laughs> That's pretty much me too. <laughs> All right. Well, it helps uh, my mind off though. So I don't worry about my kids and what I need to get done and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. All right. Well, my pick, as you already let out of the bag, um, <laughs> is the HHMI Biointeractive Ambassador application. Okay. They've opened it up and they're looking for to take 30 new um, bioambassadors. And I will tell you, this is one of those things like reflection for myself and my strengths. Um, yeah. When I thought of, first thought about this, briefly as a pick, I was like, do I want to put this out on a, as a pick or do I just want to hoard this for myself? <laughs> I the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you said that because... No. Yeah, I felt like a kind of jerk. I said it to myself and I was like, why are you being a jerk? Like, you know, I I would love to be an HHMI bio, uh, bio interactive ambassador. Um, it, it has been something yeah. I, you know, and, you know, many of my friends are ambassadors and I spent a lot of time at NABT hanging out with people who who work for HHMI and, um, you know, and, yeah. and spent a lot, had, had some great conversations and spent a lot of time with them. So this is something that has been like, you know, a really a dream of mine for the last four or five years. Once I I started meeting all of these ambassadors and and talking to them about this, okay. so, um, but I I I decided that I should share this out with the dozens of people who listen to my <laughs> podcast, uh, because uh, as much as I would love to do it, I de definitely think it would be an amazing professional development experience for anybody who is not an ambassador. And as I have seen on Twitter, you know, you know, as many of the people we've talked about, um, you know posting this out this past week. I would just say if you are a teacher, have been teaching for more than five years and intend to stay in teaching uh, moving forward, you should check out the link to the HHMI Biointeractive Ambassador uh, Program and apply because it it looks, and as, as I said, from people I've talked to who have been part of this program, it is a an amazing professional development opportunity to really become the kind of leader that we've been talking about. You know, uh, 
if you're in the classroom, you still want to have a leadership role. You don't have to leave and become an administrator. You can be a teacher leader. And this is the type of program that allows you to do that um, in an amazing way. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 hoping to get mine done. I don't know if you've looked at the full application or if you've if you're ahead of me. Not. I just did the first part where you you know say yes, I want to apply. Yeah. So I did that but now I, yes, I need to look at the full application. <laughs> I was, as I said, I was at school late last night and I started peeking at the full application and it's long. Like <laughs> you got to do some stuff. You got to write, got to write some personal statements and you got to make a video and, and do some other stuff. So, um, yeah, I started playing with that, um, yesterday and I'm going to hopefully sit down and maybe do this at towards the end of our, our Thanksgiving break and, and get those pieces yeah. in. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a, uh, an amazing opportunity. So, well, Kim, this was uh, a episode that I'm certainly going to have to cut down on time because uh, we went epically, epically long. Not surprising. Uh, yeah. As I said, we sat down and I, I said after, before we recorded, I was like, all right, well, we just had five minutes that I, that were like gold for the episode that we didn't record. So <laughs> thank you for so much for joining me. It was very, it, w- it was fun. It was good. And I appreciate you um, sending me that the Twitter message, even though I ignored you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, I hope you forgot that we were recording. Like that was my, it's always my goal. I did. I did. It was good. It, it was fun. Let me do my credits for my episode. Uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast podcast player of choice. Um, it's on every podcast player you can find. Um, if you're interested in supporting the work I do, you can go to patreon.com slash lots. Uh, that's where Patreons donate a buck or two a month. Um, and then I will send out an early release of my episode to my Patreons. Music on this and every episode is provided by Jay Jenkins and Ex-Magicians. You can get show notes on lifeoftheschool.org. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. You can follow Kim on Twitter at kpopbionerd. Um, as well, although, as I said earlier, she doesn't really post anything. She just lurks and reads. But maybe, maybe she's going to have pictures of her Yellowstone project. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me. And I will talk to everybody soon.